0: In this episode, I get to Unitream with Dr. Lena Bakshi McLean, who is the founder of STEM for Real, a nonprofit professional learning organization committed to combining STEM and NGSS standards-based content learning and leadership with principles of equity and social justice. She also serves as the board secretary for the California Association of Science Educators. Lena currently works with pre-service teachers at Claremont Graduate University, teaching STEM methods and universal design for learning. She is a former county and state-level administrator in mathematics, science, and health teacher. She is also the author of the children's book, There's Something in the Water, a story that highlights the real life of Dr. Tyrone B. Hayes, an endocrinologist from UC Berkeley. She believes that in order for us to increase our representation in STEM, we must create an identity in STEM. Her research interests include science, STEM education, and how we can create access and opportunities for each and every student regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, or socioeconomic status. Let's get to our amazing unit brainstorm session with Dr. Bakshi McLean. I'm educational justice coach, Lindsay Lyons. And here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-creating curriculum with students, I made this show for you.
1: Here we go. Dr.
0: Bakshi McLean, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It, this is one of my favorite topics. So I am so excited to dive right in. I am
0: so excited too. Is there anything? I mean, I read your bio, but is there anything that you want to share in terms of like the impetus, the context for our conversation today, the unit you know, brainstorm, anything that's going through your minds?
1: I think for the purposes of our conversation, I want the takeaway to be about real world implications and looking at our greater society what can our students do and how can that how can that inspire our instruction
0: I love that idea of real world implications and we'll we'll go right there I'm so pumped so what is it let's start with like what do you want students to learn or pursue in this unit that we're gonna like create on the spot here like what would your dream be so I, I often think of like Dr. Goldie Mohammed's framework and thinking specifically, I know she has more parts than this, but specifically I think of like identity, criticality, joy, like these are the pieces that are often missing from like your traditional education. So is there anything with that in mind that you're like, yes, I want students to learn this or pursue this?
1: Yeah, definitely. I go straight to joy because if the teachers aren't having fun teaching the lesson, then the students will most definitely not have fun so I really think that as we prioritize joy, it's, um, that's, a, that's a very important concept and, and I fully stand by that. I also, in the science world, we prioritize phenomenon based instruction. And it's this idea that you have this, this phenomenon, this head scratching, uh, observable event that students can look at and get curious. You know, we think about our students are that that come out as babies, and they are so curious they're they're looking around. They're asking why, why, and then we lose that somewhere. And and so I think that regardless of discipline, we want to get that curiosity back. So every time I start a unit. Again, regardless of discipline, I know in the science world, we talk about phenomenon-based instruction. I think you could have phenomenon-based instruction across the content.
0: I love so much of that. I'm just like writing so many notes now. <laughs> but like this idea of the curiosity being kind of the thing that that is being pursued and the joy coming out of that. I love that. And then I also love that you're also kind of jumping to like kind of the unit arc frame where like you hook through the phenomenon or you uncover through the phenomenon. And like the fact that that's observable, that the head scratcher, just I love these terms that just make it feel fun. Like you're going to learn through fun and joy. So it's like all present
1: in what you're sharing already. Yes, yes. And we have a tendency, especially in academia, to get very heady about the terms, like, is this an anchoring phenomenon? Is this an investigative phenomenon? And while those terms are very important, we have to remember that we're teachers. What do we need to do? What do we need to teach? What do our students need to learn? What are the takeaways? And anything that can really simplify unit planning, I I love 100%.
0: Yeah. So, so if you were to teach like a particular unit or you were to coach someone on a particular unit, like could be any grade level, any content area, anything. So we're going to, we're going to make sure that there's joy present. There's curiosity present. We're going to start with a phenomenon. What would be like the driving question of that dream unit for you? Like what's the thing they're grappling with?
1: Definitely. Um, As as much as education probably does not need another set of acronyms, we have another one. And so when we think about starting any unit, we start with SHS. And that is our formula for creating a phenomenon. So the first S is the standard. And so that's going to be um, either in science, the next generation science standard, if it's common core, your common core mathematics standard or ELA standard, any sort of state standard that you have, because ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to teach the standards. (laughs) So we want that to um, to drive our our content, then we have our H And, and I know you mentioned this word already, and I didn't even have to it's our hook. So what's that hook going to be that's going to hook students into the standard? And I'm not going to lie. There are some standards where the hook is very uh, prevalent. It's very obvious. Let's say we had a um, a standard on photosynthesis. We can talk about the giant redwoods, cars driving through trees because of its mass. There's a lot there. And then there are standards like... um, you know, simplifying rational expressions. And you'll have to, you have to wonder, like, you know, what's that hook going to be? And I, and I always coach teachers in thinking, you know, what can we do? Could we gamify it? Could we do something to make it so that there is a hook that students can, can grab onto? And then the third S is society. And that is what I, again, when we first started our conversation, it's all about that real world implication and the connections to our greater society. And again, whether it's across the content, we we should always be vigilant of what's happening in our world and bring that content into the classroom, especially if it's at the local context and, and connected to our local community. Yeah, so
0: I, I'm almost wondering, is there like a local context in your area or in the area of a teacher you're coaching right now that might make a really fun unit that we could kind of like game out? We could use this approach, even like the standard hook society to like think about like what might this unit look like to create it around this specific thing?
1: Yeah, let's let's go. Let's um, think about uh, we had a small little pandemic that happened across the world and, and I know that some people are maybe covid out when it comes to unit planning, uh, but there are a lot of issues that, that came, with like re- regardless of um, when you connected to supply chain issues, when you connected to food and food deserts. So we had one group of teachers look at the food deserts in the Inland Empire of California. And we saw when you went into the grocery stores, there were completely empty shelves. And that's what farming is to a lot of people. They go to the grocery store and pick out their avocados and say, all right, I farmed. This is where food comes from. And then all of a sudden you see these empty shelves. So that served as the hook for um, for the students to look at that picture and say, wow, where, where does our food come from? And that was connected to the performance expectation for the next generation science standards. I believe LS1-7, don't quote me, it's the one about photosynthesis. And so when we take our photosynthesis standards, we're able to start with our S, we've got our standard, we've got our hook, we're looking at these empty, empty shelves. And then of course, implications for society. How are, how are we going to farm and how are we going to use the the uh, process of photosynthesis to ensure that our communities, especially our communities of color, our lower socioeconomic communities, they're getting access to food.
0: I love that. So I'm just thinking about like the driving question being like, yeah, like how do we farm, right? So in, in, in a way that like, almost like shifts the power dynamic or the access dynamic, right? So like, I, like, I'm not sure what the language would necessarily be, but I mean, just the language you use, right? How do we farm so that, um, you know, communities of color and low socioeconomic communities ha- have that access, right? Or, or something like that. Yes. I love that as like the driving question because then they need to like figure it out. Like they have to answer and come up with like a better way to do things than is currently being done, which is super cool.
1: Exactly.
0: Awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I love this. I love the standard connection to photosynthesis. I love the hook by looking at the grocery store pictures. Oh my gosh. Amazing. So now I'm thinking about like, what kind of would the project look like in terms of how students are answering that question? Like how they're expressing the answer to that question? Like how do they share those ideas? What might that look like? And I feel like it could look a hundred ways, but what are you thinking?
1: So of course we're we're gonna have another acronym, but this time it's only one letter, uh, five of the same letter, and we call it the five E's. And the good news is, a lot of the curriculum, especially in science, they've already laid out their curriculum in in the five E format. So the five E's are engage, explore, explain, elaborate, evaluate, and and I I hear this all the time, especially in education, where we get the, you know, same wine, new bottle, there's always a formula, and ultimately, regardless of whatever formula you use, we want to, again, start with our hook, which is our engage, and then we want students to dive right into the learning get messy explore do the activities just jump right into the content so that there is this uh, experiential spatial learning that's occurring inquiry based and and it may seem crazy you know to just go into the lab without talking about the vocabulary, without talking about what they should be doing. So there is an age-old debate that occurs, like, well, no, I have to talk talk about the content before so that students can understand the activity. However, sometimes students just want to jump right in, and then as they are engaging in the activity, the academic vocabulary comes out within the context. So ABC activity before content. We want to plan these learning activities before the formal explanations. And I urge, I urge teachers to try it out. Um, even if they've tried it out before and they haven't seen success, keep trying because I I do think that this this type of learning really engages learners that have typically not shown success in the standard learning environment so thinking about emergent bilingual students students with disabilities and they just need a different angle at times and it's very interesting uh, where my husband actually very very far into his academic career he's uh, he's probably in 19th grade he's starting his phd and he was so frustrated because he got a homework assignment and the teacher didn't explain how to do it. The teacher said, all right, try it out. We've done some readings and we've done some, um, some lectures on this. So just go ahead and, and tinker, try the homework, see what happens. And he was, he said, you know, why am I attempting this homework when we haven't specifically gone over the the content of how to do the homework. And I'm thinking but it's that productive struggle, you know, like you go through it and you tinker. So, all that to say, we, we want to jump right into the activities as much as possible. And then we go into the explain. So having, uh, and, and when we think about explain, it doesn't just have to be the teacher explaining to the student. It can be the student explaining back to the teacher or the students explaining to each other. So those are those are three for now, engage, explore, explain. And uh, I'll pause there because I know that was a lot.
0: No, that's amazing. Okay. So I love that you're kind of jumping to those activities or those I'm almost thinking about like, what are the protocols? Like, what does that literally look like? So for like that engage, right? Like that might look like, and this is just me brainstorming here, but that might look like showing the picture and then inviting a class discussion. It could be like a circle discussion. It could be like, just like talking groups and then share out like some sort of like, let's get everybody talking. It could be like a write around. So so I'm just thinking like, what are some of the things that you see in each of these stages as like the protocol or like the kind of like, where the discussion or learning kind of lives or how that's structured.
1: Exactly. So with the Engage, you show these photos, these shocking photos of empty shelves and or or maybe dead gardens. And then you can have students, like you said, have a talking circle. They can brainstorm questions. We like to use the question formulation technique. To get those questions going, and again, giving the students having having the students be the driving drivers in in coming up with all of these questions, and then in the explore activities, perhaps they're looking at a seed in a bag, so they're uh, looking at how a seed grows, and ob- making observations, looking at their at the plant growth chart, measuring how a plant grows, and mind you, these are students that. They don't know what chlorophyll is yet. They don't know what the photosynthesis terms. They're just taking a seed, putting it in a bag with water and seeing what happens. And so that's what I mean about the whole exploration. And then in the explain, this is where you would incorporate that informational text. So it could be a book on how plants grow. It could be an informational video on what's happening with the plant as or what's happening with the seed as it's as it's growing. It could also be students creating um, a visual model of what the plant looks like. and, And labeling the terms perhaps looking at um, some vocabulary terms and together creating this consensus model of what they're seeing. So all of that to say that the explain comes after the messy exploration.
0: Oh my gosh, so much that I love. I also really want to highlight that I think the creation of the visual model as part of the explain phase, like at, you know, at, phase three, not all the way at the end is like something that I think is a huge mindset shift for some teachers of like, oh, that's the type of assessment that in a traditional classroom might be at the very end. And like you said, it might be explained first, and then they're doing this thing. And I, I just love that there's so much of like, let me, like, find out what I'm interested in. Let me just kind of see it happen. And then I can learn the words to put to it. And then I can explain it back. And yet that's still only phase three. Like there's more to do. There's more creativity to be had and curiosity to be had. So like this is just so exciting. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes.
0: And so as we kind of think about those next ones, I want to make sure I get the ease right here. So elaborate and evaluate what are some of the things that happened there or what protocols could we see there?
1: So in the elaborate, I always think of elaborate as ok, so you know how to drive. However, can you drive in downtown l a in rush hour? <laughs> you know, so you have the the initial skills of driving. Can you drive in a different context? And this is where this is where I see elaborate as the opportunity to diversify your content. This is your opportunity to tell the counter narrative, to bring in um, examples of indigenous farming practices and um, how how indigenous people have been able to farm and continue to farm to this day and and being able to utilize those practices. You can also show examples of farmers of color, you can show examples of scientists of color that ha- are, are doing this work. This is our opportunity to be culturally responsive. And, and, and really, you know, culturally responsive teaching should be all teaching. And so when I when I talk about how to incorporate a lot of the these other things that can that can build the cultural capital of our students, a lot of times it is during the elaborate phase. And then you can also uh, bring in the social justice standards. So these are a set of standards from learning for justice. And they have, I believe they have about, they have 20 standards and it's divided into identity, diversity, justice, and action. And this is where teachers as the driver can decide Well, how do we build in that connection to the social justice standards? Do I want to think about it in terms of diversity, where um, we look at how students can respond by building empathy or respect, perhaps, for other, other parts of the world, other parts of the United States, or even other parts of their state. Sometimes when we think about poverty, for some reason, everyone goes to Africa, and I'm like, no, you can go right to San Francisco, California, and look at poverty.
0: Hey, it's Lindsay just popping in to talk about today's freebie for the episode. Dr. Bakshi McLean is sharing with us her lesson planning tools for free, and you can grab those at LindsaybethLiance.com slash blog slash 120. Back to the show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. All the things. So I love the idea too, that embedded in the driving question that you initially came up with is all of that, right? Like the, the question that you came up with and the project that you kind of envisioned from the start, it centers all of that stuff, like to know, I'm looking back at our question here, but to know how you might want to be able to farm in the ways that are all very justice centered. Like you have to know indigenous farming techniques and you have to hear the successes and you have to know about like the different communities that you're naming now and and the impact of the way we do things now, like it's so justice centered from the very start of this conversation. It has been. And so I love that this is the way it can kind of like flourish and you can really dive into, I typically call them like case studies. Like you were using, I think the language of like um, different contexts and diversifying content and counter narratives, which I love as well. And so like, this is where it can just kind of like explode, like all of the beautiful stuff that, like typically feels like an add-on,
1: like this is, this isn't an add-on, like this is, this is it, you know? Yes. And, and for the purposes of the unit that we're building, Mm -hmm. I believe our teachers were talking about looking at hydroponic systems and looking at how that has been able to, that concept has been able to uh, drive a lot of the farming techniques. So uh, again, this is your opportunity to explore the concepts and the content of photosynthesis and then seeing how it's applied in different areas.
0: I love it so much. And there's also, there's just so much in terms of like sustainable futures, like there's so much impact of, of this project and this unit. I'm wondering what the evaluate stage would entail. Like what are those activities?
1: And this is actually, you know, when I hear the word evaluate and assessment, I, as an an educator, I cringe. As a student, I cringe. I'm like, ah, test, test taking. And so much of the evaluate, it, it goes so much deeper. It's not just a multiple choice test. It's not just a final. It's a way for students to just show what they know. And in in a way that's so uh, non-judgmental, essentially, and non-evaluative, even though it is the evaluate phase, but it's an evaluate for us as teachers to say, okay, what landed? What do we need to do? So this is where I love to get very creative. And you talked about having a circle talk and and doing that as an engage. I would love to do that as an evaluate too. And seeing what students are coming up with, or maybe even going back to the list of questions that the students um, brainstormed in the beginning of the unit, uh, of the lesson, and then coming back to it and saying, "Okay, well, uh, what what questions did we answer, and what more questions do we have?" And you can also look at how um, students can craft their own explanations. We use the frame, the claim evidence and reasoning. So perhaps they're making a claim about the driving question and then coming up with all the pieces of evidence and the evidence that they've built out throughout the unit and the lesson. So for example, maybe they have evidence from seed in a bag. Maybe they have evidence from uh, researching hydroponic systems and observations there so a lot of that evidence can be built into to strengthen their claim and then you have the the reasoning piece and that can come from your informational text and the lectures and the informational videos that can support that can ultimately support their claim so evaluate can be oral it can be the academic discourse that you as the teacher can listen to and hear what students are talking about Uh, This is also great for students that have a hard time with writing, and you can still be able to assess them. This is also good for students that have the opportunity to speak in their home language. So if they're able to express their content, and, and, and you're somehow able to gather that information, that's definitely something to consider. Uh, evaluate can also be through writing of course so the written process and the written products that students are able to turn in and it can be free response it could be multiple choice but i think the most important part is in the evaluate what can you evaluate like what and and it's not necessarily an evaluate of your teaching it's what do they know and where do we need to go back and reteach
0: I love the opportunities too that can come out of this particular project in terms of like the students are almost making recommendations for like a better future and a better way of doing things. And, and the people who need to hear that are out there in the world doing unsustainable farming, or, you know, like there are people who are not practicing these things that would actually be beneficial for the world, for humanity, like. And it, it might be interesting too, I always think of like an authentic audience beyond the classroom or beyond the teacher, beyond the grade. So like the purpose being like, let's actually impact these practices. I wonder what publishing, oppor- I always call them publishing opportunities because like it's a very ELA like brain that I have, but you know, like what are those opportunities for them to like share beyond the teacher and to like, I don't know, you are more familiar with this world than I am, but like, I'm wondering like, what are the Like, are there like science people or is this like a politician thing or do they go right to the
1: farmers? This is a fantastic question. And when I think about evaluate, we connect evaluate to youth and civic action. So this is your opportunity to think about what are the opportunities for civic action for students and what can they do? That again, that truly feels authentic. So that very first picture that we showed with the empty shelves, And another picture that we showed was um, a dead garden. That dead garden was from the same school district. So it was a dead garden in in one of the schools that, that hadn't been kept up for some odd reason. And so this was, again, a way for students to write letters to the school board, to generate a campaign so that they can revive the garden and bring it back to life and have it be a way to feed the school, feed uh, the community, and just have that. Um, There are some other elements that I wanted to talk about when we do think of youth action, and that is, I think we talked about authenticity, so having that we don't want to just say, okay, we'll, we'll pretend to write to our uh, council member. No, you write, you write to them, you let them know about themselves. And, and, and we have all this evidence to use it. So we have claim evidence reasoning, what better way to do it than to actually have an audience? Um, there's also having student voice and choice. So if you can come up with multiple options of an assessment, students can decide how they want to demonstrate their their learning and there's this is what we call the public product so i i think when we talk about the authentic, authenticity and the audience where is this public product going to go? Is it going to be a social media campaign? Is it going to be a letter to the school board? Is it going to be attending a council meeting, a city council meeting? So all of this to say is that when we have these components together, we can really think about assessment. Again, that goes beyond the multiple choice test and actually get students out of their seats and, and doing some youth action. However, I do want to go back to our our uh, simplifying rational expressions because there are people that are thinking, okay, this is all great for science, for history and all that. However, I just need to know how do we simplify rational expressions? And so another thing that I talk about is that learning math and and mathematical processes in and of itself is a social justice issue because math is a gatekeeper to so many careers and and, uh, school pathways and tracking systems. And so sometimes it's good for, for students to understand that so that they see like, you know, this is not just i I'm not a math person kind of thing. This is a, no, we, we need to understand this because we need to break down these gates that are keeping students in their, in their labels and in their boxes. So that can also be a, a method of civic action.
0: Such an important point. And I hadn't, heard that before just like framed in that way like just learning it in and of itself is a social justice issue I also think so many social justice issues can be supported explained um like per- like counter explained like all the things through math and so math is like this language like you're saying is often like this gatekeeping like mechanism often right or wrong like people in high positions, whether that's like teachers or government leaders, like they speak the language of numerical data and the like quantitative data. And so, if we can enable students to do that while also pushing back and saying qualitative data is also important and student experiences are important, right? Like, this is what's going to get people to listen to us and like hear what the students have to say. And so, I, I also think. I think the reason I struggled in math as a high school student was because it wasn't contextualized enough. It was just discrete skills, but math is like connected to everything and we can explain so much and connect those skills. I I almost see, and I think we had talked about this maybe before we started recording about like the interdisciplinary nature of so much of this work and that I just see as a great opportunity.
1: Yes. And especially in the science world, we we value interdisciplinary instruction. That's our only way to survive in elementary because of the assessments that are so very much focused on mathematics and, and English and language arts, a lot of the instruction is focused there too. So science is very much oftentimes pushed pushed to the side and we're not getting that daily science instruction And what's happening there is, okay, fine, maybe you have some nice test scores in math and ELA. However, you're keeping an entire discipline, an entire subject, an entire domain away from students. And typically, this happens in lower socioeconomic districts, where the emphasis on testing is, is increased and more so.
0: Yeah. Such an important point. And I think the same happens with social studies to, to an extent in elementary spaces. It's just like, these, these are just extras. These are luxury items and it's, it's so not right. Like, yeah. Okay. So this has been amazing. I want to be mindful of time and listeners capacity to, to, to listen to like episodes. So I'm going to kind of merge two questions here. Is there anything else that you would want to add to the unit slash reflecting on the process? How did like, what do you wanna highlight for people about the process? Cause it was kind of fun like merging like my process for unit creation with your process for unit creation. And I, I don't know if there's anything you wanna share on, on the process end.
1: I do wanna circle back to Dr. Goldie's work. And uh, I remember even having a conversation with her about both of our units. And and again, it's there. So when, when we look at standard hook in society, we're And, and then we're, com- we're incorporating those social justice standards. We're, ho- we're doing that because we want to make sure that our students see themselves in the lesson. That's why we have the connection to society and community, because we want their identity to be seen. That's why in the elaborate we we have those connections to diversifying your content area, telling the counter narrative, ensuring that multiple authors and multiple situations are are shown and demonstrated to your students. Same thing with with criticality. It goes back to civic action society. What are we going to do when we're thinking about our students and how they're thinking about power and equity going back to the empty food shelves. Is that only happening in the Inland Empire? And the answer is absolutely not, because you know you're going to have a very, very full shelf in, let's say, uh, Palos Verdes, California. So you think about the haves and the have-nots, and then ultimately, I started with joy. I want to end with joy. I want you know of course the topic is kind of sad like oh gosh food insecurity and access however being able to teach photosynthesis in a way that ignites student learning student thinking and and civic action that brings joy to me as an educator where i'm i'm not just going over the photosynthesis equation i'm actually talking about the implications of what this looks like for our greater good
0: yes Oh yes. Okay. So I also love that like the joy is also in the possibilities because students are like creating new innovative solutions to the problem. Right. So there's so much joy to that. And I love that you specifically named that teachers can also experience the joy, right? Like we want to design joy for students, but also the teachers, like teacher retention is so low right now, like teacher morale, teacher overworkedness. It's all like such a struggle that it's really important to identify spaces where, and like processes of pedagogy, where it's like, yes, we are experiencing joy in teaching this way. And that's really important.
1: It is so true. I mean, I'm constantly talking about teacher joy. Yes, yes, because, and mostly because of our students. Happy teachers equal happy students. And so every time I'm working with teachers, I'm always looking at, you know, is this PD joyful? Are you having fun? Or are you in the back with sunglasses on grading papers? Because that would be my worst nightmare. And I want to make sure that, that teachers are always having fun, especially, like you said, in a time where we're losing our teachers, we're losing our workforce. And I really think it's a call to administrators to step up to step up. Remember that you are the CEO of your school and district, and you have to think about teacher retention. So, and and this means re-evaluating processes like, oh, I'm going to dock you for half an hour because you were, you were sick, you know, like thinking about the nickel and diming of teachers and to actually take a step back and say, okay, who are my professionals and how can I really feed into them to ensure that they are getting their needs met.
0: Oh my gosh. That could be an entire other podcast episode. (laughs) Yes to that. Like how do we innovatively think about supporting teachers and take a step back? Oh my gosh. I love it. So I want to make sure people follow you. So I just just for listeners, the reason that I, or I guess the way, not the reason, but the way that I found Dr. Bakshi McLean is that actually she um has a, her own podcast it is amazing it is so good and so i was like oh my gosh please leave me on my show <laughs> that's why she's here so i just want to give you time and space to be able to say what you do and where people can listen to you find you all the things
1: Yes, definitely. Thank you. We would love to have you as a listener as well. And and just uh, for your audience, we we have a podcast called Teaching STEM for Real, and we talk about all things STEM. And a lot of times, like I said, we rely so much on interdisciplinary instruction. So many times the instruction and the, the techniques, they apply across the content. And so we have a nonprofit, STEM for real, STEM number four, real. And it's all about using lesson study and professional learning to create communities where teachers are excited about their learning. They want to, we want to observe each other, analyze student work, and, and again, create an, a, the next generation of, of lessons and instructional materials that ignite us and bring us joy and get us excited to to teach and i'll say to continue to get us excited to teach and i'll say to get us excited to teach again especially for those that have lost their flame
0: Oh my gosh, such a powerful way to wrap up this show. And I will link to all of the things in, in the show notes. I think you also were going to provide a, uh, a link where you did provide a link to me that I'll link in the show notes as well, where people can go get some of the amazing things that you have on your website. So there's specific resources there that you suggest. And I, I think people should definitely check those out.
1: Exactly. This was a whirlwind episode yeah. of planning. So if you wanted a little more time to sit with it, we have example lessons of the exact method that we use, um, that, that I've sent over and everything is on our website, www.stemforreal.org. Perfect. And you can always learn more about our work and what we do.
0: Perfect. Oh my gosh. Dr. Rakshi McLean. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to connect with you and your audience.
0: If you're leaving this episode wanting more, you're going to love my live coaching intensive curriculum bootcamp. I help one department or grade team create feminist, anti-racist curricula that challenges, affirms, and inspires all students. We weave current events into course content and amplify student voices, which skyrockets engagement and academic achievement. It energizes educators feeling burnt out and it's just two days. Plus, you can reuse the same process anytime you create a new unit, which saves time and money. If you can't wait to bring this to your staff i'm inviting you to sign up for a 20-minute call with me grab a spot on my calendar at slash contact until next time leaders continue to think big act brave and be your best self this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there Explore more podcasts
1: at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.